Turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 4. 1 Timothy chapter 4. We're continuing our study through the book of 1 Timothy. We're going to move from 1 Timothy to 2 Timothy and then to Titus. Uh, we're going through the pastoral epistles. And we're continuing our study through this, this particular book. And it, listen, it's been a blessing for me personally to see what God has laid out in the scriptures for us as Christians and as leaders in the church to do with his church. To see from God's word how to follow what God has instructed us to do as his followers has, has genuinely been an eye-opening blessing. Because some, you, you, you know you think you know certain things and you remember them and then you read it again. It's sort of kind of just it's it's a new, fresh um, thing that has always been there. But it's been something that's um, stirred my affections for the Lord even more. So I just appreciate um, the time that we've been in this text. So last week we saw what it looked like to be a quote unquote good servant of the Lord Jesus Christ in chapter four, verses seven and eight. Uh, we saw where Paul was writing to Timothy and he tells him, this is what it looks like to be a good servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. By what? Having nothing to do with irreverent or silly myths, but rather training yourself in godliness. So we, we saw that training ourselves in understanding of proper doctrine is actually beneficial in this life and the life to come. So it, it, is a, it is the goal for a Christian to have the desire to want to be Christ-like. That, that is a proper and good thing to want to understand the scriptures in a right way, to understand biblical theology and doctrine. It should, be not, it should not be a, a, a thing that is weird or considered odd that a Christian wants to know more about the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Like that, that should be a thing. And so this week we continue our study in 1 Timothy chapter 4. We're going to start in verse 11 and we see further instructions that in context of what we saw last week. So this training yourself in godliness, knowing um, what it looks like to have proper doctrine, not following after silly or irreverent myths. So we start in chapter 4, verse 11. He says, command, command and teach these things. Command and teach these things. Well, what, what things? Well, things that we've been talking about up until this point. We need to continue to teach proper doctrine. We want to command and teach that Christ is Lord, that there is only one God, and there is only one path to find salvation. It's in Christ and Christ alone. That, that we need to have a proper understanding of who God is and what Christ's work on the cross truly means. These are things that are important. Salvation is only through the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ alone. We don't get to heaven through multiple paths. I know that we live in a culture today that is teaching us and saying to us that where anybody can get in, everybody can come in. All, all paths, all religions lead to God. No, no, they don't. There's only one path that leads to life everlasting, and it's in Christ Jesus alone. So we command and we teach these things. That's what we're called to do. And he says, furthermore, in chapter 
chapter 4, verse 12, let no one despise you for your youth, but set for the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. So Timothy was a young buck. He was a young fella. And so there were, there were certain folks in the church that potentially were looking down on him because he was a young guy. Well, what do you know? You don't, what do you know about the things of God? You're too young. We need to have some old gray-headed guy up there to tell us what things of God are. Maybe. But Paul says, don't let them look down on you because you're young. Don't, look, don't let them look down on you for your youthfulness. But rather, here's what you need to be doing, Timothy. You've got to go harder. You've got to set the example as a young buck. As a young pastor, you must set the example for your flock. How do we, what are we supposed to set the, the example in? Well, I'm glad you asked. He gives us a whole grouping of things. Set the example in speech, in conduct, in your love, in your faith, and in your purity. Show yourself an example to those who believe. To those that are in Christ, those that are in your church that are followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, set the example. Just because you're young, Timothy, don't let them think you don't understand biblical doctrine. And listen, there's a lot of young guys out there that are coming up on this and that are, have a hunger and have a desire to want to know the scriptures the way they were laid out by the Holy Spirit. They want to understand the original language. They want to understand the context. They don't want to just cherry pick verses and make some sort of a doctrine. They want to understand the scripture as a whole. And then as a result of that, setting the example to the flock. So how can we set the example? How, what's, what's the first thing that Paul tells Timothy? Set your example for the flock in your speech. Greek word for that is logos. Logos, that's fun, right? There's actually, you can get a, right now, if you wanted to go deeper and you wanted to pay the cash for it, there is a great um, Bible study tool that a lot of pastors use called Logos. And it'll dissect, it'll go, you want, you, how deep do you want to go? It'll take you as deep as you want to go, as far as you want to go in understanding the text. It is, it is insane. God's word mentions the tongue and our speech over 120, in, in, in over 120 passages. And many of those passages articulate a caution about using our tongues wisely, learning to control how we speak. Furthermore, furthermore, the meaning of 120 passages revolves around it being divinely appointed in timing and of waiting. Oftentimes, in our speech, we should be willing to wait to speak. Can I get an amen from somebody? Amen. We, should be, we should be willing to wait with something. We, how many of us, when somebody says something, we want to have, listen, I have a quick, witty tongue. My wife's shaking her head, yes. That's, is that really, really? The only time I'm going to get an amen on my wife is that, right? So I have this quick, witty tongue sometimes, and I need to control that. And so this idea of waiting, waiting, oftentimes with our speech, we should be willing to wait to speak or to say something that we ought to say. Because here's, you want to know the truth of it. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 12, verse 36, but I tell you, 
that every careless word that people speak, they shall, they will give an account for what they say on Judgment Day. Pump the brakes. Right? So Paul's telling Timothy here, you need to set the example with how you speak. You need to set the example of how you talk, how you use your tongue. Your words matter. And that, that, I'll echo that in here. Your words matter. Your words do matter. How you speak to one another matters. If you, if you claim to be a Christian, your speech should look different than when you were not a Christian. Amen? Like that, that's period. Period. He goes further then. So number one is your speech. Number two, your conduct. How you act is just as important as the words you use. As a Christ follower, you are called not to chase after your old fleshly desires. We're, we're, we're called to, to pump the brakes on chasing our desires. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 22. And I'm going to use this in the New Living Translation because I sort of kind of like this, this wording. Throw off your old sinful nature and your former ways of life, which are corrupted by, the, by lust and deception. Woo. So Paul, it's Paul again telling us, throw off. Get rid of those old sinful natures. Your conduct matters. Your speech matters, and so does your conduct. Those two things matter. And for a Christian, those things should be transformed. Now, I'm not talking about therapeutic, moralistic deism. I'm not talking about that where we're trying to have behavior modification. I'm talking about actual heart transformation. So you're no longer wanting to chase and say and do the things you once did. You rather want to chase and say and do the things that the Lord Jesus Christ calls us to do. So Paul tells us to throw off, get rid of trash, throw it in the garbage, your old sinful nature. We are not called to embrace and allow our old sin nature to run our lives. Rather, we're called to put our sin to death. John Owen once said, be killing sin or sin will be killing you. That's, that's an absolute truth. James chapter 1 verse 15 says, then when lust has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. So when you've got a lustful desire for something that is not godly, that is not righteous, that is not pure, it is that, that lust is conceived in our minds. And then what we do is we fester and we think on that and we pursue those things. That gives birth to sin. And we know that Romans chapter Romans chapter 3 verse 26 says the wages of sin is death. James chapter 1 verse 15 tells us that listen when that sin is brought forth and it's accomplished and it's finished out the end of the line for sin is death. The end of the line for your sin is death. So Paul tells Timothy watch your conduct. Watch what you're doing. Watch your actions that they lead you not down the twisted path of death and destruction. 
Next thing he says is, watch your love. Set the example in how you love. Paul says, set the example in how you love. This, this is the Greek word. In this particular text, the Greek word is agape. Did you know there are more than one, there's more than one meaning to the word love? There's, more than, there's multiple words for the word love in the text. It does, in American English, we just read love and we say love. But we have different meanings for love, right? Like, I, I love a good steak. Anybody? Okay, a couple of you. But listen, I love my wife. I don't, I don't love my wife the way I love steak. Right? Maybe there's some days that my wife might think that I love steak more than I love her. But that's not the case. We do have different meanings for the word love. And, and sometimes I think in our culture, we throw the word love around a lot. Oh, I love that. Oh, man, I love the way that coffee tastes. Oh, I love to go on vacation. Oh, I love my wife. What do you mean by that? There are different words and different meanings for the word love. This is one in particular is the word agape, which means love, benevolence, goodwill, or esteem. As a Christ follower, we're called to have a genuine love for one another. You're, you're, a call, you're called by God to have a love for one another. John chapter 13, verses 34 through 35 says, A new command I give you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You are also to love one another. And by this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. So how we treat one another gives testimony that you belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. How you love your fellow people in church, the fellow people you work with, the fellow human beings you interact with, how you love them testifies that you belong to Christ. My favorite is when people get in some sort of a traffic altercation and they have their church bumper sticker on the back of it and they might put something out the window. Those are my favorite. Those are my favorite. I'm like, oh, you go to that church? I'll make sure not to go to that one. Because you're not loving people well. No, that's, that's set the example. People, my wife's going, Caleb, don't say that. No, that's an absolute truth. Christians should look different. Not saying that we can't get angry. Scripture says, be angry and what? Sin not. You can get angry on things, but don't sin. And listen, somebody cutting you off in traffic and you throwing your hand out the window at them and giving them not the peace sign, but something other than the peace sign. That is not loving. That is not a testimony that Christ rules and reigns in my heart. It, we know what it testifies to? I am number one. I am in charge. I'm the boss. You need to defer to me. You know what Christians are called to do? Defer to one another. Outdo one another in showing each other honor, Romans chapter 12. Step back and listen, we, we let someone else go ahead of us. We're not bumping through and getting through in line to try to get first and foremost. People are trying to bust, oh, they got steak, hurry up. That's not how it works. How we love one another testifies that we belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul tells Timothy, how, to love how you love people matters. 
And if you say you love me, if you say you love the Lord Jesus Christ, then you'd better love like Jesus. Well, how do you know what Jesus loves like? Well, I'm glad you asked. Great question. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 through 2 gives us how we're supposed to love one another. Paul writes here, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up as a fragrant offering and sacrifice. So we're called to love sacrificially. We're called to love one another with a, with a sense and tone of sacrifice. And I know that men... We live in a culture that we don't like to sacrifice anything. We like our own comforts and we like our own joy and we like our own happiness. And if somebody else needs us, because this is, listen, this is where we get into this. When you talk to people and you say, hey, how you doing? And they start unpacking how they really are. You're like, oh, right? We don't want to really know. We're just trying to be nice. We're trying to be polite. We need to have people, Christians should want to minister and love to people around them. So how are you doing? Well, I'm not doing good. Well, how can I pray for you? Let's get deeper. Let's go deeper. Sacrificially love you. Because I want to be an imitator of Christ. Because Christ, when I come to Him, when I come to Lord Jesus Christ, and Jesus knows, God, today is not my day. Today is not going well for me. God, I'm struggling and you outpour your heart to the Lord Jesus Christ. He doesn't go, oh, really, Caleb, again? You're here again? <sighs> Holy Spirit, I thought I told you to take care of him. That's not exalted. Man, he, he welcomes us in. So what are we supposed to do? Love our fellow human beings with a sacrificial love so that we can show them that we belong to Christ Jesus. Next one, he says in the text here, is be an example in your faith. Be an example in your faith. Greek word for this is pistis, P-I-S-T-I-S, which means belief, trust, confidence, fidelity, faithfulness. Be an example in all of those things. Be an example in your, what, what is faith? Caleb, I don't really, what is faith? I'm glad you asked. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1 says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. And then further in Hebrews 11, Paul tells us here, I, I believe Paul wrote Hebrews, but that's my own personal, we don't actually know, but that's, that's what I believe. And without faith, it is impossible to please him, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. What, what, is, what is faith? Faith is the assurance of things hoped for. What are we hoping for? What are we longing for? The convictions of things not seen. I have not seen the streets of gold yet, but I know that they're there. I've got a conviction that they're there. I have not seen the face of the Lord Jesus Christ, but I have a conviction that one day I will see him and I will hear out of his mouth, well done, thy good and faithful servant. That's what I long for. That's what I believe. That's what my conviction is. Now, Without that kind of faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God, you want to get close to God? How many of y'all would love to be closer to the Lord Jesus Christ? Let's just see a show of hands. Okay, a few of you. Here's the prescription. Whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists. So there's the number one one. 
You've got to believe that he exists and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. I'm telling you, if we understood the blessings that are in the hand of God for those that would diligently get in this book and seek him, I'm telling you, our lives would look totally different. W. Henderson wrote and said, Faith, both in its initiation and every step of the way, is spirit-given. Faith is given by God. That statement is solidified in Ephesians 2, 8 through 9. We, most of us have this memorized, but I think sometimes we miss parts of this. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing. It is a gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. So the grace, so the grace given to you by the Lord Jesus Christ is a gift from God. And the faith to believe in that grace is also a gift that was given to you by God as well. None of that was of your own doing. None of that was mustered up by you. The grace that was given to you by the Lord Jesus Christ was a gift, and so was the faith to believe in that was also given to you. So that we as human beings would not and could not boast in our own salvation. Because here's the thing. If we could somehow muster up the ability to do anything anything to, to make our salvation a manifestation. If we could somehow muster up the ability to save ourselves, you better believe we as human beings would be boasting about it. We would be, man, there would be a parade. Be like, listen, I saved myself. Look what I did. Cha, 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 cha. Look what I did. That's what we as human beings do. We want to, man, we are prideful creatures. We want to boast in our own abilities all the time. Look what I did. Look what I accomplished. I pulled myself up on my bootstraps. I'm an American. Right? That's what we do. You're, you had nothing. You, okay, you know what? You did have something to do with your salvation. The sin that you committed that makes it necessary for you to be saved. That's all you did. You sinned, so you need saving. So there's, what you, there's your part in it. You sinned. And broke God's law. But everything else is generated and manufactured and put together and drawn out by the Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul says, set the example here and how you walk in your faith. How you express your faith. What you believe and what you teach about faith. Do it right. Don't, don't fall into this crazy camp that teaches that you have everything to do with making your own salvation real. No. You had nothing to do with your salvation. It is faith. You're saved by grace through faith alone, and none of those things are something that you mustered up. All of those things were gifts from God as, because He just loves you. Because He loves you. So He says, be an example in how you Walk in your faith, how you teach about faith. Be an example. Last thing he says is, be an example of, to, to your congregation of purity. 
Man, especially as a young man, he's a young buck. Any of y'all remember being young? Fellas, having desires? He says, be pure. Be an example in purity. With a young man, with, especially with young men, we see sexual immorality rampant in our culture today. So Paul tells Timothy, set the example to your church on how a young man should conduct himself, how he should be a man of purity. Psalm chapter 11, I'm sorry, chapter 119. No, wait, I'm right. Psalms 11. Golly, that's what happens when I just write something off to the side here. Psalms 11, 9 through 10 says, how can a young man keep his way pure? By keeping his con, by, by keeping it according to your word. With all my heart I have sought you. Do not let me wander from your commands. Do not let me, you know, I, I, I'm, just, I'm convicted. I feel like I'm wrong in this. I feel like I wrote something down and I don't, want to, I don't want to lead you guys astray. Give me a second. You're seeing this in real time. I, felt like I, wrote some, I feel like I wrote something down. Yep, it is Psalms 119. Verses 9 and 10. So I apologize. It's Psalms 119, verses 9 through 10. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. How can a young man be pure in his heart? Get in God's word. Guard your heart with the, with the sword of the Spirit. Guard your heart against the lusts of the flesh by holding up the sword of the Spirit and combating sin. With my whole heart, I seek you. Let me not wander from your commands. Remember that old song? Prone to wander, O Lord, I feel it. Prone to wander. Sometimes we're prone to wander. God, help us in these moments. Help us to stay pure. So we maintain purity by staying in God's word. In other words, studying God's word will keep your life and heart and mind pure. I, I, I want you all to see some stats that prove that text as absolutely right. The Center for Biblical Engagement issued a report that concluded that people who read the Bible. Now I want you to listen, listen to this. This blew my mind. The Center for Biblical Engagement issued a report that concluded that people who read their Bibles at least four days a week experience the following benefits. You guys ready for that? Christians who engage in the scriptures four days or more out of the week have lower odds of participating in the following behaviors. Getting drunk. 57% less likely. Sex outside of marriage, 68% less likely. Pornography, 61% less likely to be engaged in pornography. Gambling, 74% less likely. You say, well, that, okay, what else you got? Reading the Bible at least four days a week also make it more likely for the average Christian to engage in evangelism and discipleship. Ready for these stats? These are going to blow your mind. More, the more scripture engagement that you have, 
produces a Christian who is more involved in spreading the gospel. Control, controlling for other factors, those who read or listen to the scriptures at least four days a week have the following higher odds, sharing their faith with others, more than likely 228%. If you read the Bible four times or more a week, you are 228% more likely to talk about Christ with your lost friends. Sharing your faith. Discipling fellow Christians, you're 231% more likely to try to disciple and come alongside fellow Christians and disciple them in biblical Christianity. And you are more than 407% more likely to memorize scripture if you read it four times or more a week. Ooh. How can a young man keep his way pure? By getting in God's word. You want to know why the enemy is, pushes this whole garbage mentality that I don't have enough time to read the Bible? Because he knows that if you end this book, it will change your life. And if you're not, you'll just continue to travel down the road of life heading straight to hell. He wants you to stay away from this book because he knows that this Bible can and will transform your life. Paul admonishes Timothy that, that as a Christ follower, you must set the example as the one. This is what Christians should do. As, as the pastor, you're to set the example. Get it. Listen, I know some pastors who don't pick this book up all week and they somehow just throw together some sort of a how-to on Sunday morning. Here's seven steps how to be more enthusiastic. That is not gospel preaching. And if you ever go to a church where that's, that's the junk that they're throwing out, run. Run quickly. That is not, if this Bible doesn't open, like I've been in churches where they don't even open the text. They throw something up on a screen and it's, and it's just messed up and not in context. Oh my word. You need to be in a place where they open the Bible and they read it verse by verse. Paul admonishes Timothy that he as a Christ follower must be setting the example as to what other Christians should be doing. I need to be setting the example for you. If I'm not opening this and reading this throughout the week, why, would, why should we, Caleb? Our pastor's not, so why should we? But here's the deal. I am, so you ought to, too. You ought to be reading this just as much as I am. Okay, well, wait a second. That's your job as the preacher. You're supposed to be doing that. Okay, I'll give you that. But you're called by God as well to get in the Word as well. You don't get a pass. You're not going to get to stand at Judgment Day and be like, Well, wait a minute, Lord. Wait a minute. I, I thought it was Caleb's job to open the Bible. No. No. His job was to teach you how to do it. Open it up and read it. Start with the Psalms. Start with Proverbs. Start, you know where a good start to start in Proverbs chapter 1. Start in Psalm chapter 1. Read a Psalm a day. Read it. How. How does this affect you? You say, so what, pastor? 
how can I take this home today? What, what's, land the plane for me, Pastor. What do you mean by all of this? What do you need to do? Spending time in God's word will transform everything about your life. It will take care of your speech, your conduct, everything that's in the text. Your speech, your conduct, your love, your faith, your purity, all of those things will be changed if you're reading God's word. Every ounce of it. You're going to think before you speak. Man, we, as kids growing up, we used to sing that song. Oh, be careful, little feet where you go. Oh, be careful, little mouth what you say. Remember those songs at Sunday school? I know we don't try to, you know, in our modern Christian, we don't teach those songs anymore for some reason, but we should. But we should. Oh, be careful, little mouth what you say. Oh, be careful, little hands what you touch. Oh, be careful, little feet where you go. Oh, be careful, little eyes what you see. How would we guard ourselves again? Listen, the world is on fire with immorality. Scripture says if you've got, cut your hand off, pluck your eye out if you need to. Get rid of what is causing you to stumble. If you're struggling with lust, get social media off your phone. Don't be looking at computers without people around you. Like Christians, there should be like, why? how come you don't have this thing on your phone, Caleb? Because I don't want it there to cause me to stumble. Christians should look different. And there should be a question by the world going, what? Why are you so different? Why do you not want to partake in this or that or this or that? Because I've been bought with a price. Christ rules and reigns. Jesus bled on Calvary's cross to get my heart. My heart belongs to Jesus, not to this world. Amen? So what's the take home? Be an example to all believers in what you say, in the way you live, in the way you love, in the way you express your faith, and in the way you walk in purity. And I know that seems hard in the world in which we live, but if we connect ourselves, infuse God's word into our hearts and our minds, our lives will follow. In fact, my wife this week, she, she and I were talking, and she said, Caleb, I feel convicted. I feel convicted that I need to get up earlier. And if you know my wife, that is not a thing she does. She's not an early bird. She doesn't, do you? No, she doesn't like it. But you know what she said? I want to get up earlier. I'm going to force myself to get out of the house. And I want to go to her, her favorite little coffee shop. And she said, I just want to open up the scriptures. And I just want to read. And I want God to speak to me through his word. Now, I didn't, that, listen, that, that wasn't coming from me going, you know what, woman? That's the Holy Spirit working on her. I didn't do that. But guess what I'm trying to do is I'm set, trying to set the example where I've got this book. Literally, you know, we had, a, we had a bug guy come and spray our house the other day. His name's Merv. I love Merv. I'll keep, as long as Merv is alive, I'll keep him as my bug guy. I had this open on my table. When he walked in, he said, oh, what's you reading there, brother? 
said, well, I'm studying for my sermon on Sunday. He goes, oh, tell me about it. And we started talking, and he goes, you know, Caleb, I believe we're getting ready to see Jesus return. And I said, I do too. And guess what? 45 minutes later, <laughs> Merv left. But, man, we were talking about Jesus, talking about the things of the Lord Jesus, talking about how to stir one another up, Hebrews chapter 10. Woo, come on, let's go. Like, that's what we should be doing, setting the example. So what did I do? What have I been trying to do? Set the example in my house that, man, I'm going to be in the Word. I want to be in the Word at least four times a week because guess what? My life will be transformed. Everybody's like, I trust science. Well, scientifically, it says if you're in the Word four times or more a week, your life is going to be exponentially changed. Changed. Be an example. And I know that this is hard in the world in which we live, but we've got to be people who do hard things. Do things that are not considered normal. You mean you're getting up at 5 a.m. to read the Bible? What's wrong with you? Man, I've, been, man, I've, got, a, I've got a fire in my bones. I want to know Jesus. I, want to, I have a hunger to know Jesus. Man, what, all you want to do is talk about the Lord Jesus Christ because that's where I'm going. That's where I'm heading. When we go on vacation, what do we do? We talk about our vacations. We post pictures on our social media. We talk about all the things we did. I went to the beach. I went to NASCAR. I went to the mountains. I went to, I did, uh, I, we went to the mountains not too long ago. Our, my social media feed was full of pictures of me riding my razor around the mountains. I was proud of that. I was like, look at that, it's awesome. And everybody's like, liking, liking. But you know what? You share a Bible verse on your social media page, like five, six likes, and like nobody cares. I'm telling you, God's word is more important than me riding a trail. We should be excited about these things. We should be talking about these things. Listen, if you knew next week, at Wednesday, at 3.30 in the afternoon central time, because that's the only time it matters, right? Central time, 3.30 central, Wednesday next week, that Jesus was going to touch down in Chautauqua County, he was going to, and obviously, I'm being, I'm reading it. I know where he's going to touch down. I know. But just go with me. If we knew that he was going to return Wednesday at 3.30 Central, what would you be doing? Well, Caleb, I'd be, I'd be, I'd be getting in the Word, and I'd be reading more, and I'd be telling my, my lost friends about him. I'd be telling everybody about Jesus. Well, guess what? He just might. He just might. We ought to live as if Jesus is coming in the next five minutes. Because he just might. He just might. So if Jesus is coming, what am I going to be? I want to be about my father's business. I want to try to advance the kingdom. I want to build the kingdom. I want to see Christ come. I'm not going to ignore these things. I'm going to get passionate. I'm going to have fervor. I was just telling 